0: Hey, during all the opportunities that you have free time right now, a great thing to do and not just binge watching Netflix or Prime or Hulu or whatever it is that you're binge watching, a great time is to binge read a little bit of scripture and because we believe that the one thing that can change our life more than anything else is God's Word and that anytime you open it up, God is living and breathing and active and there's something that happens when we engage in this correspondence with God's love letter to us. And so even this past week, someone asked me, hey, what Bible study should I be doing? And I said, you know what? John, the Gospel of John is a great place. Just begin to dig in, get yourself two, three, four different versions and, and begin to read them and just kind of work through them and ask some questions along the way. Because even if you've read John a hundred or a thousand times, Rereading it again in different translations and, and versions will allow God to, to reopen your heart and begin to, to do the transforming work that he wants to do. And this person said, hey, I've been at it a week now and I can't get past chapter 3. God has just kind of stopped me and is doing some work in me in chapter 3. So binge read um, amongst all the other things that you're binging. Well, hey, my name is Chris. And uh, I'm the lead pastor here. And one of the things I want to tell you is if you're gathering together as a person of one, that's a church. If you are seeking to worship God or if you're in a group of a 100 or a 1,000 or 5,000 or whatever, worship is opening up and seeking after God. So whether that's online, whether that's in person, wherever, seeking after God is what worship is. And so this morning, wherever you're at, we're glad that you've chosen to open up God's word with us and to sing with us and just gather together and to pursue the living God, Yahweh. So again, my name is Chris and we've been a series called Project Restoration. And it's a study in the book of Nehemiah. And it's really about restoration and restoration of a, of a community called Jerusalem and rebuilding the wall. But how appropriate is it for us in this season as we about to enter into school and fall and it kind of seems like we're on an upswing to whatever normal is going to look like for us to take this opportunity to reflect upon our own lives and ask the question, what would it be for us to restore? What is broken in our lives that needs fixing? As we sit back and just kind of reflect and say, God, what is it in me during this season? A pause that maybe I haven't paused in a long time. Here's a forced pause. And in this forced pause, God, reflect in my heart and in my soul and in my mind some things that aren't of you that need fixing, that need some changing, that need some molding. What about the walls of my life need to be rebuilt? We've been answering this question for real at our own house. We were gone for a few days and we came back, and what everybody loves to see is that you have a new swimming pool, right? When you come back. Except our swimming pool wasn't a planned one in the back, it was in our laundry utility room. And so we're in the force restoration project that's going on. And so the working through the insurance and all those things, those aren't fun restorations. And anytime you do restoration, It's not fun, necessarily, but the benefits on the other side, I mean, it gets you to start dreaming, right? So we came home, and yes, the floor is warped, and there's water everywhere, and there's all this different stuff, but immediately, my bride began to say, wow, think of what we can do. (laughs) And every husband begins to go, ching, 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 and like, there's our savings, we might as well just dig the house and make a swimming pool with all the things that we're going to do, but... There's beauty in restoration, there's hard work, there's discipline, you have to assess the needs and all of the steps that require the work to get to the end of the dream that you have requires planning and assessment along the project. And here in Nehemiah throughout the first few chapters, that's what Nehemiah is doing. He he comes home, he's told that the walls of Jerusalem are broken and it begins to, to burden his heart. And through that burdening of his heart, he begins to say, God, what is it that you want me to do? I'm hearing about this, and I see it, and he wants to do it. And so the first reaction that he has is he just begins to pray and say, God, I'm sensing that there's something that you're asking of me. And the same is true for us as God begins to burden our hearts with what might be broken as we just kind of take a time to just begin to pray and to to not rush into anything, but just to kind of just pause and to ask those questions. What's broken in your world that needs fixing. Is it your finances? Is it your relationships? Is it your health? Is it maybe your job situation that you're not enjoying your job so you're not doing a good job and all the different things? Maybe you need a new job situation or maybe you just need a new heart toward your job or toward your boss. There's some things that you're addicted to, that you're struggling with, and you're trying to, in your own power, work yourself out of an addiction. And I will tell you that you cannot come out of an addiction in your own power, but the good news of the gospel is that God can transform your heart's affections for new things, and that your new addiction will be the person of Jesus Christ. So what is broken in your world that needs fixing? Well, here Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 1, got the word that, The wall was broken, and so began to pray and began to seek after wisdom. And the very first thing that happened is he was the cupbearer of the king. And so as the cupbearer, he had the opportunity to, to serve the king's meal. And as the server of the king's meal, what he would be able to do is get to taste the wine. So he's getting to taste pretty good wine. But it also means that that wine could be the very thing that kills him. He cuts into the king's steak, and he's thinking this is the best beef in town, but it's also the very beef that could kill him. So he has a very cool job, but also comes with a lot of risks, which means that he also is a good friend of the king. The king has to trust his cupbearer with his very life. And so there were several cupbearers that would rotate through the day with the king, and they were become good friends and confidants of him. And so every time that the king would see him, it says that Nehemiah was always in good Good spirits and good report. But after his hearing of the wall being broken, he entered into the king's presence and his spirit was one of sadness or downtrodden. And the king asked, why are you sad? What's what's wrong? And so in that moment, Nehemiah had an opportunity. He'd been praying for it. God, give me an opportunity. God, show me what you want me to do next. And in that moment, he quickly prayed, the scripture said, and then he made requests of the king now again this is a brave ask to ask something of the king because he hadn't requested necessarily to be in his presence it wasn't a part of the plan of the day but he begins to make an ask of the king and he asks for three things that are really big asks the first thing is hey can i have time off i want time off in the midst of all this Hey, i need a break from this so that i can do the following i need to rebuild a wall And in rebuilding the wall, I don't have enough strength, I don't have enough money, I don't have enough resources. The only person that had enough resources and enough authority for the wall to be built was the king that he was about to make the request from. And so he said, hey, I need time off. I need some of your money and your supplies. I need to go into your forest and to cut down some of your trees that you're probably thinking about. Your engineers are thinking about building you other houses and other things to honor you and to bring you glory. And I'm asking to take some of that from you. And then I also, I need to be able to go to the place of Jerusalem and I need to go under your authority. In other words, I need to be able to say I am the king's man wherever I go and be able to show the paperwork so that I will not be messed with. And I will have the authority to do the work that God's calling me to do. So those are big asks. And he didn't say how long. He was just like, hey, I need time off to complete the task. And this is a big ask because he hadn't even seen the wall yet. He just knew that the wall was broken down and that he wanted God had called him to go fix it. So he's like, hey, I need time off. I don't know how much time. I need money. I don't even know how much money. It's going to be a lot. And I know that I need your authority to get it done. And so he makes those requests. And so here we are in his story. He's just made those requests of him. And beginning steps of restoration are happening. So the next steps of restoration for us, look at Nehemiah chapter two, verse eleven. Nehemiah chapter two, verse eleven. Says this So I arrived in Jerusalem. Well, that's pretty poignant. Why? Because from where he was at to Jerusalem, we think about getting in our cars and going somewhere and we think, Hey, it's is it two and a half hours, is it three and a half hours, or I know some of you recently went to Colorado, and you're like, that's 14 hours, and you can do that in a day, right? And you think, ah, you know, that'll be a hard day, but but we can do that. Nehemiah's trek from where he was at to Jerusalem was over a 1,000 miles and took him four months. So that was a long journey to get to where he needed to be to begin the stuff. And so the first thing that I want you to get is this, is that when God calls us to something, Sometimes we just kind of jump in. We're kind of this instant gratification group, and so we think God's called us, and we kind of like, oh, and we just jump into it. When in reality, most of the time, God wants us to pray, to observe, to assess, because the journey is much longer than what we're used to as 21st century Americans. It may take a 1,000 miles. It may take four months slow down and don't rush into the project now, the second part of nehemiah chapter 2 verse 11 don't be in a rush but then what does he say to us so he got there it took him four months it took him a thousand miles he shows up and then three days later okay so he shows up to jerusalem and we would think okay now let's get to the project let's gather up who's the head construction guy who's the head, head engineer we're going to gather all these people up because we got stuff to do. Nehemiah spends four months getting there, and instead of rushing into the project, he slows down, and for three days, just hangs out. I know some of you are thinking, man, if I had gone for a four-month horse ride and donkey ride, I'm going to find the nearest manicure, pedicure, spa place, and we're going to chill before I get to work. He was just hanging out. Who's the leaders? Who are the people that are in the know? Who are the broken ones? And he just began to know the community because he's not from there. He, he hasn't even, even seen the wall yet. And he's just hanging out with the people and assessing the situation. And steps to restoration, the first step is to just hear from God and to not rush. Just slow your heart down. Slow your desire to move forward. Because we have this idea that waiting is wasting time. That waiting is wasting time because, again, we live in this instant, man, I want to stream this. I see it and I want it and I I kind of pull it down. But in this time of waiting, which is extremely critical for us, we can stop and we can do something that is difficult for us to do, which is pray. Consistently throughout the book of Nehemiah, every time before he made a decision, before he did something of great critical essence, he would stop. And he would pray and just sit before God and say, God, is my heart and is my mind in tune with what you're actually wanting for the people? Prayer is critical. Prayer impacts our eyesight. When we stop and slow down and kind of step back from the project and begin to look at it from different angles and and you bring other people in and you say, hey, listen, I'm praying about this. I'm thinking about it. And, And other eyes can help your eyesight. About you, but I do not have the best eyesight. I wear glasses. I wear contacts, and so I'm consistently going to the doctor and saying, "Hey, how much more blind am I?" I know that's not good English, but I'm not. I'm not seeing. Is, Is everything still working correctly? And they're like, "Listen, you're blind. You're just not as blind." You're a little bit more blind today than you were yesterday. And so this movement and, and one of the things that I love about the eye doctor are there are these moments where they put those little things, they slide it up and they tell you to put your chin on it and you're sitting there and they flipping through lenses. Y'all you know what I mean? And what do they say to you as they're flipping through one, two, one or two? You know, and what they're doing is they're trying to find clarity of vision for yourself. And sometimes, listen, when it's with me, it could be a long process. One, two. I don't know. They're about the same. Okay, one, two. One. And they're moving this whole thing. And that is what prayer is. is sitting and listening and put your chin up and just allow God's goggles to kind of move in. One, two. One. Do you see it better this way? With astigmatism, is it better this or that? And they're doing all this stuff. And God does that when we slow down and stop and allow Him to just kind of move in on us. We can see with greater clarity. It's not wasted time to sit and to pray, it's actually critical for clarity of vision. Look at Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 12 and 15 as we continue this idea of don't rushing in. So here, Nehemiah, in the middle of the night, he slips out, taking only a few others with me. Now, here's one thing I want you to grasp is in this rushing is you don't want to tell too many people what you're thinking about, what God's working on inside of you, because not everyone is your friend. So Nehemiah sat around for three days, and I think one of the main things that he was doing was like, I'm listening to people's hearts. And minds and souls, and who's going to be for me, who's going to be for building the wall? And those people, the few of them, I'm going to take them out. Because Nehemiah knows his history, he knows his Jewish history, and one of the things that's consistent throughout Jewish history and our history is there's always people who get clarity of vision and are ready to move forward. Because they see what God has for them. And then there are others that are like, listen, I see giants in the land and there's no way that we can take it. And God's like, it's not about you taking it, it's about me taking it and you joining me. And so Nehemiah knows that his call to rebuild the wall is not his call and his power. It's God's. And so you've got to be careful about who you invite in to what God has for you. So he slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us except the donkey that he was riding. After dark, I went out through the valley gate and passed the jackal's well and over to the dung gate. That sounds exciting. You know what the dung gate is? Yeah, that's exactly right. Expect the broken walls and the burned gates. So, though it was still dark, I went up to the Kidron Valley. And, and one of the things that he's doing as he's doing this, he's, it's a dangerous task because he's outside of the walls. Even though they're broken down, even though they're burned, there was still some security. So at night, he's going around and he could easily be attacked. People are watching and waiting and opportunities to attack. So he's left security. So he went up to the Kidron Valley instead, inspecting the wall before I turned back and entered back again at the valley gate. So this is his path. I don't know about you, but I'm extremely visual. So he's, he's left the valley gate, and he comes around, and he gets up into here, and there he is. And he's like, oh, I can't go any further because it's so broken down. I cannot go any further around. And so he comes back and works his way back around to get back in. So he doesn't even get to this place over here because it's so broken. The city officials did not know I had been out there. Or what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. Again, the wisdom of waiting, because you don't know truly who's for you. I had not said, spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. He was cautious about his dream. He was cautious about what God had set before him, and he was not going to rush in. He had prayed, he'd assessed, he'd observed, he'd, he'd spent all this time. Can you imagine for four months traveling and wanting to get to the wall and to begin to fix it? And he, the wisdom and stopping and hanging out around the campfires and and listening to the hearts of the others and maybe even asking the question, so so you've been living here for how long? And, and as you've lived here for, for this long, have you noticed that the gates are burned? Have you noticed that the walls are in rubble? Have you noticed? that the temple is is in disarray? Have you noticed all these things? And and from that began to hear the heartbeat of the people that some had forgotten. It just becomes so used to it that their house had fallen down. And it was just like, you just walk in. I mean, I don't know. Does that happen at your house? That you've been somewhere for so long and you see something that's broke or needs painting or whatever, and you just kind of Get used to it because you maybe you don't have the money right now or you don't have the time or whatever it may be and Over a season then all of a sudden you just become Accustomed to it and you walk by it and you just forget about it. And You're like, eh, it is what it is And I think that's what the case was here with nehemiah is that that they become so accustomed to it and they were the poorest of the poor those that were left behind. And so they're like, hey, I, I don't have we don't have the funds. We don't have the energy. Listen, people are always attacking, people are mocking us and, and telling us, and, and we just don't have the energy. Is it really worth it? You know what? My house is fine, and my should I worry about the wall at all? So here Nehemiah the one hasn't rushed, he's observed and assessed, and he's prayed. And now he's at a point where he's beginning to invite people in. And so what does he do? He shares What he sees. And again I imagine this is around a a campfire together. And he's been asking them all these questions and observing. And then he shares with them. Here is what I see. Look at verse 17. But now I said to them. You know very well. I'm moving too fast. There we go. But now I said to them. You know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. He's saying to them, listen, you have seen it with your own eyes, but your eyes have become accustomed to the destruction and you've become okay with it. It's easy to become comfortable with a mess in our own lives. But here's what changes it. The very moment you or your spouse or kids say, We've got guests coming over. What happens? New eyes. You see everything inside and outside of the house, and you begin to clean it up. You begin to you mow the yard. You weed eat. You do extra stuff because you want to put on your best for the guests. And so here's Nehemiah, a guest, and he comes in, and he's saying, listen, you didn't clean the house. The house is not ready for guests to enter. And you don't even recognize it anymore. The gates are burned. The the walls are in rubble. And you're accustomed to it. And you don't even care anymore. You didn't even clean the potties. At least you clean the potties if somebody's coming over. And you didn't even clean that. We get so accustomed to the mess in our lives that we don't even really ask about it. Nehemiah asked, do you see what I see? Can you see the problems and the issues with the wall that I see? Can you smell what I smell? Smell it. Can you see the brokenness? You see, we have a tendency to normalize our dysfunction. We have a tendency to normalize our dysfunction. Here's a, the Fun isn't dysfunction, but it's not fun. We try to convince ourselves that our dysfunction is fun, but it's not. And we just hope that none of the guests go into that closet or into that room. And we close off certain parts of our house. Do you see that it's broken? Can you smell it? Or have you just gotten used to it? Here's one of the other things that I think that happens to us is sometimes we see the brokenness. And it's so overwhelming that we just are frozen in fear and anxiety that we don't know what the first step is to even begin to work on it. Because it's so overwhelming. But here's what I want you to grasp. is God-sized calling and vision, those things are not impossible. That's what Nehemiah is saying, listen, God has given me clarity through this time of prayer, through this time of assessment and observation, and and I've looked and I've seen, and it breaks my heart, and I know that for some of you, it breaks your heart as well, and I'm here to encourage you and to join with you, to show you that what seems impossible by ourselves is, but with God, that's the beauty of the gospel, that's the good news of the gospel, with God, this is possible. And so what does he do? He begins to share his story of why he's there. That's one of the things that we have to be reminded of is our stories. Whenever we come up ag- against something and there's brokenness in our lives and we're, we're ready to take that next step. We have a, a clarity of vision and we're ready and we know that there's people that for us and we begin to, to invite them in because we know that we cannot conquer this ourselves. Whether it's your finances, whether it's your relationships, whether it's your health or whatever, you tell people that care about you because you know that they're for you and will support you and will be, a, help you be accountable. Hey, are you going to the gym? Hey, are you working out? Hey, how's your budget going? Hey, how's your relationship with your wife and your kids? People that care about you, friends, will ask you those questions and really mean it. And you know that you can respond honestly to them because they're not going to judge you, but they are going to hold you accountable. Because they have joined with you in clarity of vision of where you want to go and who you want to be. And they know that without them and without God working through you and transforming you, this thing is impossible. in Nehemiah, the second part of verse 17, he says, Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. He's inviting them in. Then he told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on him in his conversation with the king. In other words, that the king, who was the one who brought them into exile with them, is now for them and has actually given him authority and given him money and given him the resources and has given him the time off to they can together accomplish this task, which seems impossible. And so through his story that encourages them and he says, hey, listen, let's gather together. I know that you may not be a wall builder. I know you may not be a mason. I know you may not be an architect. But together we have some that can. And we can do this work. And complete it much faster and easier. Than you could ever imagine. So invite some friends in. Here's one of the things about life. If it's good for you. Then it's probably good for your friends. If it's good for you to go to the gym. It's probably good to invite some friends. Because it's probably good for them. If you're on a health kick and you decide to do some things, it's probably good to invite some others in. If you're on a financial health kick and you're looking at your budget and you're doing all this stuff, it's probably good for some of your friends to join you that as well. If you've gone to counseling because you're like, hey, I want to continue to get healthier in my marriage and in relationships, it's okay to tell people and say, hey, listen, we're going to counseling. And guess what? Other people will go, that sounds like a good idea. Let's go do that. To join together and invite people in to what God's doing. Pursuing God's vision for your life is worship. Because if there's something broken in our life and we're pursuing fixing it, it's not behavior modification that we're talking about. It's heart transformation. And so that is worship. God, I want you to fix my finances. And so to be able to do that, you have to look at the biblical principles and begin to say, okay, God, if this is true, if my heart is attached to the things that I buy and the things that I own, then you need to begin to do some work here because I am worshiping other things and not the creator of those things. And so all of this is heart worship transformation stuff for us. And in that, we're declaring confidence in who God is. As we take these steps to say, God, I know and sense there's some brokenness, and you've shown that to me, and I'm stepping forward with clarity of vision for what new life can look like, what a rebuilt wall can look like. Look at Nehemiah, verse 18. Then they replied at once, after his story and after all this stuff, what did they say? Let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. One of the steps to restoration is you have to begin. At our house, it's been a little bit over a week since our flood. One of these days, my wife is going to come to me and ask, when is the work going to begin? Because if the work never starts, then it's just a dream. It's not a vision. You just kind of do some things, and you're like, man, this would be great. If not, because over time, guess what can happen? In our laundry utility room, we can walk on it and just kind of continue. It it warps and it goes down, and it's kind of a little fun roller coaster ride. But, But someday, if we continue to go with that, one day, myself, but probably by luck, my wife will be the one to step through the hole. And then that vision will gain clarity and immediacy. So why not go ahead and do the immediacy now? Why wait? If you made the assessment, if you've got the tools, if you've got the resources, if you've got the authority and you have the vision and the dream for the project that needs to be done in your heart, even though it seems impossible to you, invite others in that are for you and allow God to begin the process of restoring and rebuilding the wall. And the beauty of the wall is this. It brings safety and security and peace. Why? So that you can go to the temple and not worry. Listen, for us, there are so many times that you enter into a place like this or you have a conversation with someone, and the first thing that you worry about is what are they going to think of me and where am I at with God? Listen we're all in process. The question for us this morning is what is broken in your life that needs fixing? And are you willing enough and are you courageous enough to invite others in, including Jesus himself, to begin the restoration project? Let's pray together. Dearly Father, we all have work to be done. None of us are a complete, finished project. So, Father, we are on a journey of restoration. Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage, that you would give us friends around us that are true friends, that you would give us the ability to wait and be patient. Waiting time is not wasted time to seek your face and to gain clarity of vision where you just say this one or this one. for Father, you have a vision for each life in here. And one part of that is that they say yes to your son Jesus second part of that is they just begin to show that they love you by being obedient and that, so that you will transform our hearts Lord the task is impossible we cannot clean up ourselves enough to earn your love and your favor that's the reason for Jesus But also as we continue this journey as followers of Jesus, sometimes we have a tendency to want to try to clean up still. Father, that's an impossible task. We, We can modify our behavior for a little bit, but Lord, you want our hearts, not just our behaviors. So, Father, may we invite you in as our friend. And may you transform our hearts. Remake our minds and clarify our vision. It's in your son's name that we pray.